Paratruth Radio is a proud member of Evergreen Podcasts on KillerPodcast.com. Christian and non-Christian paranormal investigators. They have two different views, and it seems as if neither of them can ever agree on anything. So what happens when a mainstream view of the paranormal crosses paths with the Christian view? <laughs> Something What's up, ladies and gentlemen, welcome to a brand new episode of Paratruth Radio. My name is Justin. And I'm Eric. And tonight we've got another great episode for you guys. Um, I thought of a great idea to, to do something again, a little bit different than the paranormal stuff. But um, first and foremost, Eric, how has the week been, man? Oh, it's been all right. You know, I had a... Uh couple of setbacks here and there but you know here tonight got christmas lights up outside which is something i've been trying to do for a while nothing crazy <laughs> just a couple spotlights but wanted to feel more festive uh now i'm sitting here with my spiked eggnog ready to enjoy the show spiked yep. eggnog um yeah uh yeah. You know, today it's rum so <laughs> It's a, uh, it's been a week, um, but with everything that goes on in my life, it's just prioritizing what's most important, really. So, um, but I'm glad that we are back for another great episode of Paratruth Radio. Um, two quick things before we get into the episode. First. Uh, we touched about this last week about the uh, the monoliths that are popping up in, around the world right now, and two more have popped up since the last time Eric and I spoke. Um, and Eric had come across a article that says that there's a, a organization that's claiming to have done at least three of them. So um, before I I have you read the article, Eric? The one thing that I, I emphasize as I'm thinking through this is anybody can claim they've done something. But um, at the same time, it's a it's a logical explanation that this organization actually did do ones that they're saying they did. So um, who was it that you had texted me that said that they're doing this? So I came across this article. Uh, it was posted just about a day ago, actually, right? You had sent me about this monolith that showed up on a beach. And I happened to just Google because I wanted to see some other posts about it. And I came across this post or this article on NewYorkPost.com. And it's actually interesting because, as you had stated, a group has already come forward uh, claiming that they were the ones who built a few of these monoliths. Now, the company or the group is actually called the most famous artist. Uh, that's what they're known as. It's a community of artists. And they're actually creating these works and selling them 
for around $45,000. So if you're interested in a monolith, any of these monoliths, they do have them for sale. Now, the founder of The Most Famous Artists, his name is Maddie Moe, and he told the Post uh, in a message directly to them regarding these monoliths is that they were the ones who created them in the first place, several of them. However, many others that have, or at least a few others that have showed up throughout the world, they are not a part of, which means they're either copycats or another origin for these other monoliths. He goes on to say that the monolith is out of my control at this point. The idea was to start a global phenomenon, he added. I'd say mission accomplished. I hope every city gets a monolith. It brings people together and spreads joy. So here we're clearly seeing, according to Maddie Mo, the founder of the most famous artists, they created these monoliths, first and foremost, to try to spread a little joy, bring some charity, uh, get people involved in something probably outside of COVID. I mean, we've had a rough year and they wanted to do something fun. And let's face it, it has been fun. It's been wild. There's been a lot of people speculating, aliens and mischief and this and that. So here we clearly have, according to New York Post, a reputable source, uh, that these have already been taken claim, not aliens. The ones around the world that they haven't claimed, however, who knows? Could be a copycat artist, could be a copycat extraterrestrial who thought this would be a good idea to join in on the fun. So up to you guys, what you think. Do you think that this particular source and this whole ordeal is just a cover-up? Maybe these are still really alien technology type monoliths that are being dropped or shown to us uh, and that this whole famous artist group is actually just some type of a way to try to hide it? Uh, or do you think this is probably legit? This is just an art piece that has found its way around the world and people are finding a lot of joy in it. Yeah, I mean, like I said, everybody uh, everybody can claim they've done something. Is it true? Only only truth. Uh, only time can tell. But uh, but New York Post is a pretty well known resource, so I w- I would think that they would have done their research and before interviewing these guys. Um, right, but. To me, to me, <coughs> um, for artists to be doing this or or it being a hoax is a more logical idea than aliens are just randomly plopping monoliths throughout the world. Because I mean, in my opinion, what would be the point <laughs> other than freaking out right. humans? Right. But, um. Okay, so another thing I wanted to touch base on really quick before we get into the show is uh, we had a comment on our Cursed Objects episode, Don't Touch Cursed Objects, uh, from Paranormal Forum, actually. Uh, person that goes by Walking Goose on there had said, I've been to Pompeii twice when I was in Europe. Not much to see, but lots of history. I wonder if the curse goes to st- to strangers and those not sympathetic to the spirits that still live there? Question mark. Uh, I didn't take anything, but I didn't want to. Seems odd to take something from a place of such tragedy. Just wondering. Uh, and then they had messaged me 
separately and said, Hi, Justin, I forgot to also add, I am part Italian and my family came from the Bay of Naples. Probably some of my ancestors may have died there, but I didn't want any souvenirs anyways, meaning Pompeii. Uh, Italians are superstitious as a whole, so taking something from the dead is looked at with disdain, just saying. I will listen for your program, because I had told them we'll touch base on this. And uh, I had commented and said, I am part Sicilian, and I completely get it, same superstitions. Um, and I mean, maybe it's the way I grew up, maybe it it is... We, we are Sicilian, we come from the old country, and it's super disrespectful to take something from the dead, um, in my opinion. So, but uh, what are your thoughts on, on that, about, you know, it being strangers uh, that it's affecting, which, I mean, obviously strangers, because it's tourists who come and then take these pieces of whatever with them. Right. Well, I, I think we have to, of course, still consider what the origin of the curse is. Is it spiritual? Is it something that's manifested on its own? Uh, we don't really know what a curse truly is. We have a definition of it, but it's still not clear as to where it's projected from, uh, whether it's thought based or maybe, manif- you know, it's fully uh, alone in its manifestation. But I think it's fair to say that maybe it could be the fact that they're not only strangers, but people with uh, poor intent, maybe. Uh, these are people mm-hmm. who are taking it for their own personal gain. Uh, not that they're selling it or anything like that, but it's just a souvenir. Uh, and maybe it would be a little different if somebody was coming in and collecting these artifacts as a way to uh, show the world more about this heritage and the people there uh, at the time and what really happened. You know, As we consider a lot of our investigations, and I think a lot of investigators could agree with us, is that spirits typically want to be known. They want to be heard. Uh, they don't, they're often lonely, you know, and I think in the same subject uh, matter, if you're taking a, a substance from Pompeii and you're making it known to the world, letting people know for educational purposes, like, Hey, these are the people, this is the people that was here. This is how they, how they lived. This is what happened as a tragedy. Maybe there wouldn't be so much a curse because we're representing Pompeii in a positive light, you know, uh, in some way. Whereas if you're simply stealing it and hiding it away, well, now you're taking not only the piece of history, but you're holding it to yourself. And that could be uh, bringing in this negative uh, or even curse-like atmosphere. So I, I think there's a good possibility that it that could be the reason or one of the two as to why we end up with these quote-unquote curses through Pompeii. Okay. Yeah, I mean, makes sense. It- Without knowing the origin of what it comes from, you can't really say this is what is causing it. So, right. Uh, all right. So, uh, on to the actual true topic for today's episode. Um, I came across this article um, and I, I shared it with Eric only because it, it was like, something we haven't really done before and it it seemed really interesting. Uh, But uh, the first one was 12 fun Christmas facts. And then I came across one that said 30 interesting Christmas facts. So we're going to pick 
12, you know, like 12 days of Christmas that we absolutely thought were very, very interesting. And uh, so I'll start it off with number one. Or should, does it go one to 12 in the 12 days of Christmas? Right? Yeah, technically. <laughs> well, I can't we remember if they go. the story or are we talking about the, so- the song? The song, yeah. <laughs> the song. <laughs> I mean, if that's the case, we'll have to do, if we're going to do this correctly, then we have to tell one and then two and then retell one and then tell three, then retell two and one. Okay, we're not, no, no, we're not going that. Retell three, two, one, if we're going to do a little song. That'll just take forever. That's how it works for the song, okay? All right, then we'll just do one through 12. (laughs) And these are in no particular order, folks. This isn't like the best fact and the worst fact so one through 12 are all equal uh, and i think that's what justin's really asking here is are we starting with the one that's kind of eh, as number 12 and number one being the <laughs> most crazy christmas fact we're not he's always that. trying to throw me throw me for a loop guys it's starting to get really annoying <laughs> 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 all right so the one the one that i i found kind of really interesting because i didn't know it uh is Jingle Bells was actually written for Thanksgiving, not Christmas. Uh, the song was written in 1857 by James Lord Pierpoint and published under the title One Horse Open Sleigh. Uh, it was supposed to be played in the composer's Sunday school class during Thanksgiving as a way to commemorate the famed uh, Medford sleigh races. And Jingle Bells was also the first song to be broadcast from space, uh, which was in the number 30 uh, article that I saw, and that happened in 1965 that they broadcast Jingle Bells in space. So that happened one time. That's not happening every year. Right. Yeah, it was uh, nine days before Christmas in 1965. Two astronauts aboard Gemini 6 sent an odd report to Mission Control that they saw an unidentified unidentified flying object about to enter Earth's atmosphere traveling in the polar orbit from north to south. Maybe they were looking for Santa Claus and that's like they're like, well, let's sing yeah. send them jingle bells. Could have been maybe they thought it could have been Santa and that's why they did it. Like maybe, hey, who knows? <laughs> yeah. All right, go on with number two. All right, well, number two, th- this one's actually, so growing up, and even now, uh, I think we've all, at least most of us have abbreviated the word Christmas, right? Uh, sometimes it's just a little, eh, just don't want to spell it all out. So how do we mm. shorten that or abbreviate it is by writing it as X-Miss. Now, when I was growing up, there were some people who took offense to that, especially uh, the older Christians who grew up in, you know, really strict households. In fact, we know some people even today uh, who who will often be like, well, no, that's the wrong way to do it, and you know, so on and so forth. But the term Xmas actually dates back to the 1500s. Now, you would think that this was something a little newer, but when you really consider the the history of the letter X and what it represents, you find that Xmas is actually just as accurate uh, as saying Christmas. In fact, 
Christianity was once originally spelled as you would pronounce it, Zianity. It's X-I-A-N-I-T-Y. And this dates as far back as 1100 AD. Now, X, or Chi in Greek, is the first letter of Christ and served as a symbolic stand-in. In fact, what's also interesting about this is many people believe that The crucifixion might have actually been Christ might have been crucified on two boards that were in the shape of an X, as opposed to a typical cross. Uh, We don't really know, Uh, but anyway, in 1551, the holiday was called. I think you would pronounce it Zetemis. Again, this is X T E M M A S, but it was eventually shortened to. Xmas. And in reality, Xmas is just as Christian as a longer version simply because the term X is the first letter of Christ. So, uh, number three on our list, not necessarily these lists, um, is Santa stretches time like a rubber band in order to deliver all gifts in one night. Uh, according to the United States United Nations Children's Fund UNICEF, uh, there are, and I'm not sure if this is a, a typo, it says 2,106 million children under the age of 18 in the world. Now, if it is 2,106 million, it's actually 2,106 million. Um, if it's supposed to be 2.6 106 million under children? I don't know. Anyways, uh, Mm. if we assume that each household has an average of 2.5 children, which I don't know how you have half a child, but uh, Santa would have to make 842 million stops on Christmas Eve, traveling 221 million miles. Given the different time zones, Santa has 36 hours to deliver gifts. Therefore, he has his average speed would be approximately 650 miles per second it is less than the speed of light. Therefore it's theoretically doable, but still quite hard for a chubby old man on an open sleigh. No yet less with animals pulling the sleigh. Now they're magical animals, but still, uh, right. Yeah. Larry Silverberg, a professor of mechanical and aerospace engineering at North Carolina State University, suggests that Santa uses relativity clouds to get the work done. Relativity clouds based on relative physics, allowing Santa to stretch time like a rubber band, which gives him months to deliver gifts, while only a few minutes pass for the rest of us. Coming up on 5-Minute News, I'm Anthony Davis. You might think it's partisan because maybe it's critical of one side or the other, but it's not. It's just the truth. And I think that's also something that's kind of unusual for Americans listening to the radio or to podcasts because the news landscape in the States has been so partisan for so many decades. So 5-Minute News is verified, truthful, independent, unbiased and essential world news daily. Right. It's interesting that they would call it stretching it like a rubber band. I mean, it's no different than um, than the idea of time folding in on itself. You know, obviously, we, we, right. I think we've talked about it a little bit in the past. 
uh, the quickest way to get from point A to point B isn't necessarily to travel in a straight line, but to shorten the line by simply folding it in half. Uh, so if you mm-hmm. were to take a piece of paper, for example, put a dot on the left side, put a dot on the right side and fold it, clearly the dots are right next to each other. Uh, and that would be one of the simplest ways to travel through uh, time and space, especially if we're considering getting places at near light speed. Uh, according to... Um, Stephen Hawking, we can never actually travel at the full light of speed. We can only achieve about 99%. Now, this is, of course, in theory, since we've never actually done it. Uh, but nonetheless, 99% is still pretty fast. Now, you had mentioned in the article, or according to the article, that that uh, Santa would have to move how fast, or is approximately moving how fast? 150 600, 650 miles, miles per second. 650 miles per second. So that makes about sense. Uh, when you consider that light itself actually travels at 186,000 miles per second. Uh, so obviously he's nowhere near the speed of light by any means whatsoever. Uh, so he's still very, very slow, which means he'd have no choice but to stretch time out like a rubber band or somehow condense the space-time continuum in order to get from one place to another. Uh, right. Really interesting. I, I'd love to see an actual scientific book explaining how Santa moves through time and space. In fact, maybe we'll do one. Justin, I know our next project. <laughs> Coming up with the scientific method for Santa's travel. <laughs> yeah. That'd be an interesting read, I think. Yeah. It, it's, and we've, you know, we've kind of discussed this off air and on air that, Santa would have to somehow warp time, whether that means freezing time, uh, whether that means, like they're saying here, relativity clouds, uh, so that it kind of stretches like a, a rubber band, maybe a relatively relativity cloud that surrounds the sleigh. Um, mm-hmm. You know, wormholes. We've kind of theorized wormholes, maybe. He utilizes wormholes. So yeah, it was it was kind of cool to see that uh, there there's somebody that kind of delved into the science behind it. Yeah. So number what number are we on? Four, five, four. Yeah, number four. We're on number going on to number four. Okay, so number four. Uh, this actually doesn't really surprise me considering what has happened in the past regarding Christianity uh, and even what's currently happening now in Christianity. So if nobody knows, I mean, despite the fact that Christianity is the world's number one uh, most popular faith, uh, it is actually restricted and illegal in many, many nations around the world, even to the point that if you were to be caught practicing such a faith, you can be condemned to death for it. Uh, So that is still happening. Uh, if you don't know, but celebrating Christmas also used to be illegal early on in America's early years. In fact, by the time the Puritans settled in Boston, celebrating Christmas had been outlawed completely from 1659 to 1681. Anyone caught making Mary, uh, making Mary would face a fine for celebrating now, after the Revolutionary War, the day was so unimportant that Congress even held their first session on December 25th of 1789. 
Christmas wasn't actually proclaimed a federal holiday for almost another century, which is really quite incredible, especially considering that nowadays nearly everybody has off for Christmas Day and more or less celebrates. Even if you don't celebrate, you still get the time off unless obviously you're in some type of uh, first responder uh, type of job or something like that. But At least here in the U.S., Right, at least here in the U.S. Yeah, um, it, it's it's funny that it's you know a lot of things we take for granted now uh, were actually illegal in, in our country's history and still illegal in some countries. So, yeah. All right, number five, um, and I'm combining two that I found because it's it's just interesting to me. Uh, you know, typically Christmas dinner for the U.S. is usually kind of like Thanksgiving. People have turkey. Some families have ham. Um, my my in laws and uh, I now uh, have pizza on. Christmas uh, Day, no, Christmas Eve, we do pizza, and then Christmas Day, we just do a small dinner. Um, But uh, in Armenia, the traditional Christmas Eve meal consists of fried fish, lettuce, and spinach. Many Armenians fast for a week before before Christmas Eve. That's why, in order to not to stress the stomach, the menu for Christmas dinner is pretty light. Uh, In Japan, traditionally, they eat KFC for Christmas dinner. Although the percentage of Christian people in Japan is close to zero every Christmas, kids and grown-ups head to the closest KFC to enjoy some fried chicken, the closest food to turkey that you can get in Japan. It's also... It's all thanks to a successful Kentucky for Christmas marketing campaign in 1947. First aimed at foreigners, KFC offered a Christmas dinner that contained chicken and wine, a meal that remotely resembled the food expats and tourists had at home. After a huge success, Kentucky Fried Chicken started promoting this offer every year until the fast food chain became strongly associated with the holiday season. The Colonel and Christmas man go together, <laughs> like peanut butter and jelly. Yeah. Now we never get. I don't think we've ever had KFC on Christmas Eve. But you, I'm sure you recall, uh, growing up, Grandpa always got us chicken, uh, chicken mm-hmm. breast, or it's usually from Treese's, I think, um, or Giant Eagle, something like that. Whatever was the store back then. My mom picks it up now, actually, still for Christmas Eve when we have family over. Uh, and get that chicken. It's been that way for, as far as I understand and can tell, it's been like 34 years I've had, we've had chicken on <laughs> Christmas Eve. All right, number six, <clears throat> sir. So, all right, so number six, halfway through. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> uh, so, Justin, a <laughs> uh, question for you. I know you hate when I ask questions sometimes, but especially when you don't know that the question's coming. Do you happen, happen to know what a grog is? G-R-O-G. Yeah. 
Yes. Okay. It's, uh, what is it? it's usually associated with pirates, but it, it's an alcoholic drink that you kind of mix this and that together. It's usually kind of foul tasting. Uh, but uh, the the association that I've heard is that it could eat through your your grog mug. That's how caustic okay. it was. All right. So I think that's a fair description. Not bad. Pirates and mixed alcohol. And you're pretty much right. Uh, grog is any variety of alcoholic beverage nowadays, but the original was actually referred to a drink made with water and rum, uh, which British Vice Admiral Edward Vernon introduced into the naval squadron that he commanded in the West Indies on August 21st, of 1740. Now, Vernon wore a coat of grog rim cloth and was nicknamed Old Grogrim or Old Grog. Why is that important? And is this really a Christmas fact? Not yet, but it's about to be. That's because (laughs) the first settlers created the first ever American eggnog. The Jamestown settlers created the first batch of eggnog, and although it didn't have quite the taste that we come to love today that sweet thick milky like flavor uh with the cinnamon and nutmeg and man give me a second i'm gonna take a sip of my eggnog real quick yep that's good uh the word nog actually comes from the word grog or any drink made with rum so early on when eggnog was made it was often mixed with rum such as mine is tonight so technically early on you didn't require the nog didn't require that rich milky base that we come to to taste now or come to love now you didn't really need it because most people were interested in the alcoholic side of the beverage um but nonetheless there you have it eggnog early comes from grog and that makes sense that rum would be a base for grog. I I hadn't done a whole lot of research into grog, um, but that makes a lot of sense, especially with pirates. So interesting. Yeah. Um. So number seven. Uh, in Germany, Poland, and the Ukraine, finding a spider or a spider's web on a Christmas tree is believed to be a harbinger of good luck, according to one legend. A spider wove a blanket for baby Jesus. According to another, a spider web on the Christmas tree turned silver and gold once the sunlight touched it. One way or another, decorating a Christmas tree with artificial spiders and spider webs will inevitably bring you luck and prosperity. Which is really interesting, especially depending on who uh, or where uh, uh, the idea or the symbolism of a spider comes from. Because in some cultures or even faith, a spider is represented as something a little more darker by nature. Uh, Not Mm -hmm. necessarily good luck, especially being the fact that they can be rather venomous, not poisonous, (laughs) despite the fact that everyone says poisonous which I don't know if you guys, you understand the difference between venom and poison, right, Justin? Yeah. uh, Poison is usually uh, 
not necessarily associated with animals. Venom is is an animal's, I guess you can say poison, quote unquote, I guess. But it's that's the huge difference between the two. One is a a more chemical base. One is more animal. One is more chemical. One is more animal. Uh, also, the simplest way to put this is that poison is ingested, whereas venom enters the bloodstream. Uh, okay. So you can technically eat a poisonous or a venomous spider so long as it doesn't bite you. On the way down, you'd be just fine. Uh, it is, though I wouldn't recommend doing it, it is, <laughs> has been stated per science and though not recommended that you can technically drink venom and, you know, put poison <laughs> in the bloodstream. <laughs> and be fine i wouldn't totally believe that i feel like poison depending on what it is i mean there's a lot of chemicals out of there out here that's poisonous which i think if it entered your bloodstream you'd be really really bad off um but nonetheless those are the differences one's adjusted the other one's through the bloodstream <clears throat> so number eight we're eight, yep, right? Eight. Yep. Losing track. I need to start writing this down, folks. <laughs> I always get lost with these kind of things. So, Santa Claus, who, how many of you have written letters to Santa growing up? I know I have. Justin? Um, yeah, I do. Yeah. Yeah. So, you know, most years, uh, especially growing up, my parents would always find a way to answer or respond to these letters. Some often they would be retyped or typed up the answers. So you couldn't figure out, you know, their autograph or their signatures and anything like that. You know, as I got older, me and my sisters could tell, Oh, why is Santa's name written with my mother's handwriting? That doesn't make a lot of sense to me. Something's weird. Uh, <laughs> so they started using a computer, which threw us off the trail for a little while, but wouldn't you know, and some of our friends, I'm sure, probably already know this, is that every year letters are sent to Santa worldwide. These kids are always trying to f mail him and get answers or more likely get toys and whatnot like that. Well, there was, of course, none other than a Canadian post office that thought, hey, I've got an idea. Why not respond to these letters? So the post office workers started writing back uh, to the kids who were sending in these Santa letters. And as the program set off or took off, they set up a special postal code for Santa as part of a Santa letter writing program. The initiative was called Ho Ho O. Uh, this is H O H O H O, uh, or even H zero H space H or zero H zero. Uh, this is actually this. Oh, ho, 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 blah, blah, blah. However, that's done. <laughs> pronounced uh, is the actual postal code for Santa. In fact, you can send it addressed to Santa Claus, North pole, H zero H space, zero H zero Canada. That is Santa's address for anyone who's interested in sending off a letter to Santa himself. Yeah, it's one of those things that I think we had to come up with something 
to keep the the magic going. So, all right, number nine. Candy canes originated in Germany. Uh, kind of makes sense because Germany is kind of the candy capital of the world in a sense. Uh, the National Confectioners Association says a choir master originally gave the candies to young children to keep them quiet during long church services. Grandmas who still dole out sweets during droning sermons, you've got history on your side. But it wasn't until a German-Swedish immigrant decorated his tree with candy canes in 1847 that they became popular as a Christmas candy. Hmm. I just had a candy cane yesterday, actually. It's quite delicious. There's that's fact number nine, by the way. Yeah, that's what I said. Oh, was that nine? Yeah. Sorry, that was my fact number ten. Then. Oh yeah, number ten. That I had a candy cane yesterday was fact ten. Number ten is I had a candy cane yesterday. Let's move on to eleven. (laughs) (laughs) That didn't go as well as I was hoping it would. Took a while. Uh, No, for real though. (laughs) Number ten. Uh, you know, so this one, Christmas gets a little, well, let's just say it gets a little, uh, where'd it go? Oh, (laughs) this is something you don't share with your kids. Okay. (laughs) It gets a little adulterated, I suppose it could be. Uh, but mistletoe is actually an aphrodisiac. In fact, the holiday floral is an ancient symbol of fertility and uh, virility, and the Druids considered it an aphrodisiac. This is important to keep in mind so that the next time you walk under the mistletoe with your loved one, or dare we say, one you don't even know, and someone says, hey, under a mistletoe, be very careful about what you're getting into, because uh, if you know what aphrodisiac is, you could set yourself up for either a really good life or maybe a bad one. So be careful. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, number 11. In the Netherlands, uh, Sinterklaas, the Dutch version of Santa Claus, arrives from Spain, not the North Pole. And that's not the only weird thing about the Dutch Christmas. Sinterklaas has his little helpers, but they are not adorable, hardworking elves. They are black-faced boys and girls who can steal your kids if they misbehave and bring them back to Spain, which is, according to the Dutch, a severe punishment. And Eric and I have talked about these weird characters that accompany Santa Claus in the past. Um, I'm actually going to be getting episodes up for you guys to listen to our past Christmas episodes. Um, But yeah, very odd one. Yeah, which I guess leaves us with number 12. And what better way to finish it off than with something a little more eerie and perhaps creepy, especially since this is indeed Parachute Radio. Iceland has 13 Santas and an old lady who kidnaps children. In fact, Christmas in Iceland is a colorful fusion of religion fairy tales, and folklore. Instead of one Santa, 
the kids are actually visited by 13 Yule lads that either reward children for good behavior or punish them if they were naughty. The holiday period begins 13 days before Christmas, and each day one of the 13 Yule lads comes to the houses and fills the shoes that kids leave under the Christmas tree, either with sweets and small gifts or riding potatoes, depending on how that particular child has behaved on the preceding day. The mother of Yule lads, half-troll, half-beast, horrifying old woman, Gryla is her name, kidnaps naughty kids, and believe it or not, she boils them in her cauldron. And that is one of the uh, creatures that, or multiple creatures, I guess, that we talked about on one of our past episodes of Paratruth Radio as well. Mm-hmm. All right, folks, that is the end of 12 fun facts about Christmas. Um, we're going to take a quick break. We will be right back with Paratruth Radio. There are spirits everywhere, watching, waiting, seeking that opportune time to reveal themselves like no other. They fill our worlds with so much. Seriously? You didn't just do that. You farted on the promo? What's wrong with you? I thought you were professional. Go away. Go. I, I got it. I got it. Hey everybody, it's Brian Bowden, host of Nobo Boomy, where we explore deep inside the Goblin universe. We have an amazing show that covers the paranormal, conspiracies, music, art, entertainment, trending topics, and so much more. Please join us by subscribing to the show on Podbean at InsideTheGoblinUniverse.Podbean.com, on iTunes, Google Play, Spotify, Stitcher, TuneIn, and everywhere you find podcasts. It's an informative, fun, and overall entertaining good time, and uh, we'll keep the gas to ourselves. Why don't you burp next time? Someone give me Brian Anderson. What's up, everybody? Welcome back to Paratooth Radio. Per always, my name is Eric. And I'm Justin. And we had just wrapped our 12 fun facts of Christmas. Uh, That is, of course, right in line with the 12 days of Christmas. So if you have any more fun facts that you'd love to share, feel free to reach out to us. Uh, respond to the show to this episode hit us up at new lantern media uh, at gmail or is it new lantern media one yep at yep. gmail.com that's what it is new lantern media one the number one at gmail.com uh, and of course hit us up on facebook instagram twitter you can pretty much find us anywhere Uh, we'd love to hear from you. There are plenty of facts that we haven't covered here tonight. Uh, In fact, there are roughly about 18 more that we didn't cover that we could have. So as always, we're going to have the links in the description. Feel free to click on that 30 fun facts or the 12 fun facts and see what other cool, interesting things there are to to, uh, share with your friends and family this holiday season. We are, of course, approaching the holidays very fast, or I should say Christmas, because we're already in the holidays. It's all mm-hmm. around us. Uh, this is now the end of the first week, approximately a little further, actually. It's almost two weeks into Christmas. We're only a couple of weeks out. A lot is happening, obviously. You know, between 
everyone getting excited for the end of the year, get 2020 behind us and looking forward to what 2021 holds, hopefully something a lot better. Uh, But we would like to know what type of special traditions you and your household holds. Uh, Just out of curiosity, maybe this is something we'll go ahead and share Uh, in a future episode here, especially as we approach that Christmas episode, as we do every year, uh, we got more fun stuff coming your way and we want to get everybody interacting uh, in that special episode, uh, both for Christmas and of course, the following episode from that, which is our New Year's Spectacular, which we are both working very hard on uh, building a fun episode for that as well as we always do. Maybe it'll be live again, maybe not. We haven't quite decided yet but we'll let you know. Uh, Yeah. Justin, any fun little tidbits or anything, any news you'd like to share here tonight? Um, Well, next week actually will be our official Christmas episode, uh, seeing as it will be the the Sunday before Christmas. Uh, Christmas falls on a Friday this year. It's a little weird. Um, But... uh, it was interesting to go through those facts because uh, several of them actually I I didn't really know. I did know that uh, in Japan they eat KFC for Christmas, um, but a, a lot of the other ones I I didn't really know. The ones that I went over. Um, so I guess my question to you was: there anything even in the ones that we didn't read? Was there anything that kind of fascinated you or you didn't really know about? Um, I, well, the spider one for sure. I didn't know that finding a spider in your tree was considered good luck or a web. I thought that was really interesting. Uh, that and actually the grog story, the story behind eggnog and what mm. eggnog actually represents being the half rum, half eggnog, or however you decide to split those two lovely ingredients. Um, those are definitely two that are very interesting to me. And I think the ho ho, uh, zip code for Santa. I didn't know about that. I wish I did when I was a kid, but might've happened a little later than, than I would have been able to try it. So, yeah. So, um, like I mentioned a little bit ago, um, I am going to get all of our Christmas episodes up, um, so that way you guys can enjoy them going into the holiday season. Uh, we've got roughly a week and a half from the time of this recording going live that Christmas is here. Um, and yes, I, I do think that uh, we have to have a very special New Year's episode. Uh, we'll try and do live, but we'll see how it goes. Um, and uh, I think we should get some listener interaction for this new year's episode as well. Um, but yeah, until next week, um, I don't have anything further. Eric, do you have anything else? No, sir. I think I'm good to go. All right. Well, keep staying safe folks. Uh, you know, 2020 has been rough. Uh, we are still going through the COVID pandemic um, but we do appreciate you staying with us on Paratruth Radio each and every week. And I do completely understand that you want to get out there, but, uh, you know, stay home. Uh, if you absolutely have to go out, please make sure you're wearing your mask. 
uh, practicing social social distancing, all that stuff that the CDC has recommended for us. Um, and uh, j- yeah, just enjoy your time at home. I mean, it's the holiday season. Spend time with family. I know it's rough because we've already been with our families pretty much all year round, but just have fun with your family and friends this time of year. Mm-hmm. Um, so until next and week, remember folks. this. Because once everything does clear up and you go back to work, you're going to wish you were back at home able to relax. Oh, yeah, absolutely. (laughs) Keep that in mind. But if you do get lonely or bored or need somebody to talk to, Paratooth Radio is always here for you. Make sure you reach out to us and tune in anytime because we have plenty of episodes in archive for you to listen to. Uh, either if you haven't heard them before or want to re-listen, we have some great ones out there. Salem Witch Trials, I've brought that up a number of times. You'll enjoy that one a lot. Uh, there's plenty out there. Goatman, uh, plenty of UFO stuff. Guys, girls, women, men, children, animals, dogs, cats, whoever's listening. Uh, definitely make sure. <laughs> I don't know where I come up with this stuff, dude. It just sometimes it just flows and then I regret it later. Uh, but nonetheless, we're here for you guys. So, yeah, um, one of my all time favorites that we did was uh, the Croatone effect, uh, and that was for, for a Thanksgiving mm-hmm. episode. Um, and, and if there are episodes that you've heard in the past and they're you can't find them anywhere, I did take uh, a lot of our archives down uh, when we were moving forward with New Lantern Media. Uh, we were trying to do a Patreon thing um, and, and decided to just shut it down. Um, but uh, yeah, if you have if you can't find one that you absolutely loved, let me know. I will make sure I get it up. Um, I'm kind of slowly but surely adding our old episodes back into the Paratruth folder, but uh, just let us know. So until next week for our Christmas episode, you'll find us same time, same channel. My name is Justin. And I'm Eric. Peace. This is Fabulously Delicious, the French food podcast. I'm Andrew Pryor, and every week I bring you the wonderful and fabulous people involved in French food, whether they're here in France like me or from around the world. Each week, we dive into a specific topic, be it a French dish, an ingredient, or a French cuisine cooking technique. My guests are all about French food, so come join me on... Fabulously Delicious, the French food podcast. Bon app.